Please stand for the reading of God's word. The scripture today comes from Matthew 6, 9 through 13. That can be found on page 811 on your pew Bibles. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is God's word. Please be seated. As we start the new year, it's good to remember the church vision. Uh, does anyone know the church vision? No, we should keep it right before our eyes. Always keep it before our eyes. What is our church vision? Uh, Christ treasured above all things in Metro West and to the ends of the earth. You know, as I look at that vision, I am overwhelmed. Some way at times I, I just feel like it's a pipe dream. That Christ would be treasured, that people, so many people will come to Christ in Metro West, that he'd be treasured throughout. Um, it just seems impossible. But then I think about the, the disciples in Jesus when they traveled through Samaria and how the, the disciples certainly felt that way about Samaria. They when they were traveling, they needed to travel from Judea to Galilee. And the normal route would be to cross the Jordan River and go up the East Bank and then cross the Jordan River over again to avoid Samaria because the hostility, the animosity between Jews and Samaritans was so great. But they traveled through and they left Jesus at a well to refresh himself as they went off to get food, but certainly with no anticipation of teaching Samaritans about Jesus. But Jesus met a woman, one outcast even among the Samaritans, who, who was shocked that Jesus would engage her in conversation, but through that conversation, she came to realize who Jesus was. She saw him as the Christ, and she left, ran back to Samaria, and told everyone in her village about Jesus. So when the disciples return, and uh, they have food for Jesus, but Jesus doesn't seem to be that interested in eating, and he, Jesus says, well, I have food you don't know of. And they're very puzzled by that. What's he talking about? And then I'm sure he probably pointed to a sea of white robes making their way toward him from the village of Samaritans and says, do you not say there are yet four months till comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. When we look at Metro West, what do we see? What the disciples saw? Wait, maybe four months? No, not four months, right? Maybe like 40 years? Maybe as the culture changes? I mean, after all, 
a 19, excuse me, 2017 Barna study listed Boston as the second most de-churched city in the country. A 2019 study had the region of Boston to Manchester, New Hampshire, listed as the fifth most post-Christian region in the country. The four in front of it were all from New England. And this is what God's calling us to reach. Impossible, isn't it? Let's pray. Our Father, help us to see as you see. Help us to see what Jesus sees. Help us to know your power. Lead us out, Lord, this year. Engage us, but may your spirit go before. In Christ we pray, amen. So how can we reach Metro West? Ah, let's plan, let's assess, make strategic plans, mobilize, and go out there. That's one way. And it's something we're doing right now at Westgate. Or we could sit back and pray and say, God's the one who's got to do it, so we'll sit in our seats and we'll be comfortable in our congregation and pray that God will reach Metro West. Or we could do both. Psalm 127 says, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord reaches Metro West, we labor in vain trying to reach Metro West. But Paul in 1 Corinthians talks about those who plant. The people actually go out and they plant the seed of the gospel. And some water that seed. Some harvest the fruit of that work. But God causes the increase. See, the two come together. We go out, plant, water, harvest. But it's only God who actually makes spiritual things come true. So how do we do this? How do we connect with God so that he is the one who reaches Metro West? Well, one, we need to be people of God's word. We've got to be connected to God, following him, reflecting him. We need to be grounded in the gospel where the gospel of Jesus Christ motivates our hearts so that we embrace everything the gospel has to offer, but that gives us a greater desire to bring what we're experiencing out into our communities and to move the hand of God. We need to be praying. And over the next month, each sermon is going to be about prayer, prayer for God's kingdom to move out into our, in our region. We're going to take a break from John, the Gospel of John, and we'll come back to it in early February. So we want to begin this week with a prayer that really reflects our desires which are God's desires, and that's the Lord's Prayer. The prayer opens, Our Father in Heaven. Now, the opening of every prayer addresses God, 
but also it usually focuses on attributes or the nature or character of God that aligns with what the request is going to be. And we'll see that. We'll unpack that, in, especially next week. But this is a general prayer, a model prayer that we could always be praying. So it's a very general introduction, but probably two of the qualities of God that are critical for us to understand in every prayer. He's our Father, and He's in heaven. But let's not skip over the first word, our, because I, I've skipped over that for years and years and years, and we would pray it as a congregation, and I understood when we prayed as a congregation, our Father, uh, and I may pray that personally, but usually what I meant was my Father, Father, personally. Because I see prayer so much as about me connecting with God, me expressing my desires to God. But the model prayer starts with our. And there's a reason for that. Because although God cares for us individually, he knows the very number of hairs each of us has. He's very interested in us corporately, together as the body. Just as he is corporate, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so we together are many members but one body. We are a part of one another. We are a family together with one Father and one Lord. And so we need to realize that we need to be coming together with the same heart as God has in prayer for his things. Now, we often think of the importance of community in discipleship, where we get together with other individuals, we teach one another. We're iron that sharpens iron. We seldom think about the importance of doing evangelism as a community other than church projects. Uh, Max Stiles, in his book on evangelism, gives us five reasons why communal evangelism, us coming together, working together, are uh, the benefits of these. One, it says, when we pray together, when we work together to reach out, we hold one another accountable. I start talking about, I share with you that I would like my neighbor to be reached for Christ. Uh, I all of a sudden feel a little more like I, I should be talking to my neighbor. I need to be keeping that relationship on the front burner. We strengthen each other's mutual resolve. We also learn from one another. As I hear other people's stories say, I can do that too. Three, we rejoice together. We celebrate when there's success and we might weep together when it doesn't happen for someone we love. And we bond together through shared experiences. But I'd add another one. Sometimes we can work together in evangelism. If I'm going to have neighbors over, maybe I bring another person from our church with us so the neighbors can meet others who are part of Westgate Church. There's a lot of different ways we can work together. Communal evangelism, especially through prayer. And that means coming together and praying for those we want to see come to Christ. And there's opportunities for that. That's what happens on Tuesday mornings at the prayer at our house. It's what one of the classes is going to be about. 
there's some in the church who've done this on their own with, with other people from Westgate. Uh, you can set up your own. But if you're even not able to be any part of those, do be praying for the things that Jesus Christ asks us to pray for and relate it to our desires to reach Metro West. So he's our Father who is in heaven. And we see in, in these two terms, we see this intimacy, this imminency of closeness with God and Father, and yet we see the transcendence of God in his distance as being in heaven. God wants us to understand him as both, that he has an intimate relationship with us. Now, we often take that for granted because we use the word Father, Father, Father in prayer. But do you realize how special that is in Christianity? There's really no other religion that can logically say that the creature can have that intimate of a relationship with God himself. Um, Joachim Jeremias, who's a uh, New Testament scholar, he got a number of assistants together and they combed through prayer literature, or just about all the prayer literature in ancient Judaism. And he said this, the result of this examination was that in no place in this immense literature was the invocation of God as Abba to be found. Abba being father, the intimacy, that type of intimacy, daddy. And then he continued, we can see from all this why God is not addressed as Abba in Jewish prayers. To the Jewish mind, it would have been disrespectful and therefore inconceivable to address God with this familiar word. In other words, God is in heaven. It's inconceivable that God would want to have that intimate of a relationship whereby we could call him Father. But that's what God gives us through Jesus Christ. Michael Reeves uh, describes prayer in this way. We are carried by Christ. In prayer, we are carried by Christ right into the middle of the Trinity. You see, God wants us to experience with him and with one another what he has experienced as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. That's the type of intimacy we can have with God through Jesus Christ. If God is our Father, then we know he wants the best for us. That's what Jesus was pointing out when he says, uh, if, if you ask your earthly father for a fish, will, will he give you a serpent? And if you then... If you ask for bread, will, will your father give you a stone? If you then, who are evil, know how to give, give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Again, he uses father in heaven because if you have a father in heaven, you have a father with all the resources to answer any prayer. And you know you have a good father who wants the best for you. And he's going to respond to your prayers with what is best.
for you. What is best for us. But we need to remember, he is the Father who is heaven. Now, we can look at it that way and say, if he's my Father and he has all the resources in the world, just think of how I can use him to fulfill all my purposes and all my desires. But the term in heaven also means that God is majestic. He is awesome. He is the creator who we are to serve. And so what we see is two things coming together that we talked about last week when we talked about the purpose, uh, according, our purpose according to the Westminster Shorter Confession. Chief end of man is to glorify God. He's in heaven by enjoying him, the intimacy of him being a father. Both of those come together in prayer. And so when we realize the love of the Father, especially in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we fall deeper and deeper in love with the Father. And all of a sudden, our interests become what the Father wants. Uh, imagine being a, a son or daughter of a president of the United States. All the resources, all the power, and you know your father loves you. And your father's going to do what's best for you and give you what you really need. Your father is going to be engaged with you personally. At the same time, you realize your father has a big job. And you are going to be wanting to support the father. You are wanting the father to be successful. You want your father to do great things as president. And you become more invested in him as the leader of the country than you are in what he can do for you. God is our Father, but he's in heaven. And we want his will to be done. We want him to be successful. And so we look at the first three requests in this prayer. Hallowed be your name. I remember a story of a, a, a young, young kid who was regularly trying to grasp this prayer and couldn't quite make sense of that word. And what he was hearing was this. Our Father, who art in heaven, how do you know my name? <laughs> and, and certainly, hallowed be thy name can certainly be that confusing. It has been for me. But what, what does it mean? It really, we're saying, God, let your name be holy. Holy means set apart, sacred, valued, treasured. That prayer is saying this. God, you, your son, be treasured throughout our world in all things. You are to be adored. You are to be worshipped. You are to be followed. You are to be united with in carrying out your, your vision, your dreams. May we treasure 
you, and may the world treasure you. I don't know if you have any special treasures and how you treat those treasures. Um, I'm a baseball card collector. I haven't collected much in the last decade or so, but I was more into it uh, years back. One time I was, when I was pastoring in Watertown, uh, I was talking with a member outside the church, and this, this guy came up, he was, lives on the street, and he was pushing a cart with some things, and he comes up and he says, uh, I was cleaning out some attics here, and I've got this, uh, this baseball card, and uh, I'll sell it to you for $15. Now, it was a card of Babe Ruth in really excellent condition. And uh, so I said, well, let me, let me see it. So I turn it over to see if it says reprint on the back, and it doesn't. And I feel the card stock, and I go, nah, this, this, this is fake. And I say, no, not interested. So the man went on. Well, a couple months later, I was telling my associate uh, the story. And he said, well, that's interesting, because I have a friend who... This guy who lives on the street came, offered him a Babe Ruth card for 15 bucks. And I said, well, I hope he didn't buy it. And he said, no, no, he bought it. And he brought it to a dealer, and the dealer offered him $1,200. Now, that card today is worth in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. Now, what if I had bought that? And if it was genuine, I would treasure that. You know, the first thing you do is you put it in this, this plastic, maybe even glass, right? So you're going to protect it. You're going to preserve it because it's precious to you. And I would be telling you the story, not as a defeat, but as a great victory of look at this treasure I have, and you're going to hear the whole, every part of the story and, and how it's a 33 good day, and you know, I'll tell you the whole story, right? I would treasure that. Two things I want to say about that one is, do we treasure Christ that way? You see, that precious, do I, we protect our time with him? Do we want to tell everybody about him? Do we feel more valuable and treasured ourselves because we have such a precious gift, precious person in our lives? Do we treasure Christ? Second thing about that, though, is, I passed it up because I didn't think it was real. How many people pass up the treasure of Jesus Christ because they don't think it's real? It is. And it's a treasure you and I who believe in Jesus Christ have. Isn't it our desire that everybody would have this treasure let us pray. Hallowed be your name. Lord, be treasured above all things. And then he moves and says, your kingdom come. Uh, Kent Hughes captures, I think perfectly captures the meaning of this, this phrase when he says, over the years there have been conflicting interpretations of the meaning of your kingdom come. Some have argued that it's a prayer for the second coming of Christ. And that's all it is. It has nothing to do with the present life. Others have seen your kingdom come as a social call 
and nothing else, a mandate to bring in the kingdom through our good works, social justice. And then there are those who have seen your kingdom come as spiritually fulfilled in the salvation of souls. Actually, the correct interpretation and application contains elements of all of these views. See, the, in my mind, the kingdom of God, it's, it's, it's simplified by me thinking the kingdom of God is when the curse is reversed. A lot of Red Sox fans in the early uh, millennium here uh, kept that phrase in our minds. Reverse the curse of the Bambino. Uh, we need to win a championship. But reverse the curse. God created humanity, placed them in a paradise. But sin entered in and cursed the world. It broke our relationship with God. It broke our relationship with one another. It broke our relationships with ourselves. It broke our relationship with nature. The kingdom of God coming is the reverse of all of those things. And it will be ultimately fulfilled when, after Christ returns and when he reigns. All of that will be reversed for eternity with the new heavens and the new earth. There will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more sorrow, no more tears, no more wars. And so when we pray, thy kingdom come, we are praying what our hearts all want is, Lord, make this world the way it was meant to be made, where all the pain, emotional, physical, is gone. But Jesus also said the kingdom was at hand. He said the kingdom will grow as a mustard seed grows. He said, you are a part of doing kingdom work of reversing the pain of the curse. And Jesus did that when he healed the blind, when he cast out demons, when he raised the dead and helped the crippled to walk. He was reversing parts of the curse. And when we get engaged in helping the poor, helping the disadvantaged, working for social justice, we are bringing aspects. We are of that, the, the fruit of the kingdom, and it's kingdom work. But the third part is really important too, and that's what might be the most important part of our work, and that is the spiritual transformation where we bring the gospel to people and the gospel bears fruit, restores our relationship with God, draws us into loving relationships with one another, and helps us become our authentic and real selves. That's all kingdom work that God has called us to. And it's interesting, before we did our new work on with coming up with this vision, our old mission statement was expanding the kingdom of God in western suburbs through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've always said, well, we've said for the la almost the last decade, we are to be involved in kingdom work. Pray thy kingdom come and your will be done certainly as the kingdom of god grows the more and more the will of god is done in fact these two are so closely joined that luke's version 
of the Lord's Prayer does not include the phrase, your will be done. Because if God's kingdom was here, we're doing his will. But Matthew prayer does include it. Um, that because it should be our desire. And it has to begin with us. That we do God's will. But when God's will is done, more and more it's done, the more and more transformation there is. Now, I've often closed prayers with your will be done. Like, think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He looks at what he desires. And he says, Lord, if there's any way other than the cross, may you make that happen. And then he says, but your will be done. Lord, when we pray your will be done, we are submitting our desires. We're, we've, let, we've laid them out before God. Here's our desires. But we know your wisdom is greater than ours. Your purpose is better. Do according to your will. And I'll often close prayers with that, which is a good place. But it's interesting, he doesn't close the prayer with that. He puts it up toward the front. And doesn't it make a difference if we put this prayer, your will be done, in the, more in the front of our prayers? Because then it begins to govern our prayers. And we begin thinking more and more of what would God's will be that I should be praying for? Then I will be thinking of what is my will that I'll be praying for. Whenever I teach on the Lord's Prayer, I use an illustration from The Prince and the Pauper. A few of you have heard this before. Hopefully there's one person who hasn't, so I can tell it again. <laughs> so in The, in the Prince and the Pauper, uh, the Prince of Wales, Edward, discovers that he has a look-alike named, uh, he's a beggar named Tom Canty. And uh, Edward is just bored with all the royal duties and stuff. Uh, and so, and of course, Tom Canty, as they become friends, looks at all the privilege that Edward has, and they decide to change places. And so uh, Tom is experiencing what Edward would use, the incredible meals, the royalty, the treatment, the servants, while Edward is out there living as a pauper. But then tragically, the king dies. Edward is next in line. Edward hears that, and he's making his way back uh, to, to claim his rightful throne. Meanwhile, Tom Canty is like very confused. He wouldn't have a clue of how to run the country. But the nobles want to run the country through him. So when Edward finally appears, uh, the nobles say, no, no, no. This guy, pointing to Tom, he's, he's the king. You've got to prove that you are the Prince of Wales. And he says, well, how do you do that? Well, if you can produce the royal seal, because the royal seal, the stamp of the king to do the king's business has been missing. If you can produce that, then we'll believe you. And, of course, Edward doesn't, you know, he had used it with Tom, but he doesn't know what Tom did with it. And so Tom says, well, describe, describe the seal to me. And when he describes it, 
he remembers where he put it. Actually, he did put it together with, with the prince. And so he did, tells the prince, remember what we are doing? And finally, the prince remembers, ah, there's where it is. They get it. Edward becomes king. And Edward's curious, and he says, well, why didn't you produce it earlier? And Tom says, I didn't know what it was. And he says, well, what, what were you using it for? And he says, well, I was using it to crack nuts. <laughs> he was using the king's seal to crack nuts, not to do the king's business. God wants us to be able to crack some nuts, he wants, us, he wants to serve us, but really prayer is about doing the king's business. His business is his name being hallowed, his name being treasured above all else. His business is his kingdom coming. It's his will being done throughout the suburbs and the world. This year, we're going to be taking a number of steps to become God's instruments in reaching Metro West. And there are places and roles for everybody, whatever your gifting is. But we cannot, we cannot reach Metro West. We cannot reach Samaria, but God can. Let's call upon him in prayer. Let's lay a prayer foundation through our corporate prayers and through our personal prayers. May we pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our Father, we thank you for your word, what a guide it is, what a light it is. We thank you also that you've promised to hear our prayers. And when we pray according to your will, the prayers will be answered. If we pray according to Jesus' name, if we pray what Jesus would pray, you will hear and you will answer. Lord, this morning and from here forth, we are going to pray precisely what Jesus told us to pray. Hear our prayers. Reach Metro West. May we be one of those instruments through which you do your will to your glory. Amen.